Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good afternoon, a warm welcome to you. This is The Call, 10 stocks picked by you, two expert guests over the course of an hour on this Wednesday, the 14th of December. I'm Nadine Blaney. All right, let's get to it. Our guests here for the full hour, Andrew Whiteland from DP Wealth Advisory and Henry Jennings from Marcus Today. Listen, guys, I was sort of listening into your conversation in the break. What are you sort of prepping for next year in terms of, of equities, Andrew? Well, it wasn't quite what we were talking about, but let's run with that anyway. Um, <laughs> certainly uh, expecting to be, and good afternoon to you, Nadine. I, I, look, we sort of, are certainly coming into January, Santa Claus rally, all that sort of stuff, really trying to get a read on some of this inflation data. Uh, hopefully central banks pausing in the first quarter. If they've gone too hard, potentially seeing a bit of a harder landing for the economy and interest rates coming off in that last quarter of 2023, September to December. So plenty more volatility if I had to sum it up in a sentence. Henry, you? Uh, hi, Nadine. Hi, Andrew. Um, yes, I think we're going to see another sort of rerun of 2022 in terms of volatility. At the end of the day, we haven't really gone very far in 2022. I know it's surprising, really. Stock selection has been crucial. The likes of BHP have been stunning, uh, whereas the likes of some of our tech sector, like Zero, have been pretty bad. So I think it's going to be crucial with tech selection, well, stock selection, but it is going to be volatile. It is going to be all about inflation. It is going to be all about talk of recession and maybe even stagflation risk. So it's going to be an interesting year for sure. I think we could start off in a relatively okay place, but I think February earnings season could dictate the next quarter in terms of uh, how the market is. So it's not going to be an easy year. It's going to be down to stock selection and be prepared for more volatility. Okay, and by the way, you guys don't want me telling at the masses what you're speaking about via the break, so we'll leave that one there. Let's play nice for the next 56 minutes or so. These are the companies and ETFs we'll be speaking about today. The VanEck Morningstar Wide Moat ETF, the iShares Europe ETF, That'll be an interesting conversation. Ioneer, Charter Hall, and Pilbara Minerals as well. But can we begin, as always, with the stock of the day? So its cybersecurity advisor, Madiant, says that there has been evidence of unauthorized access to a hosted exchange service that hosts accounts for IINet and WestNet business customers. So this is up to 15,000 email accounts of businesses. It's basically an email server that has been breached. And it looks as if this, this actor, this, this hacker was in search of customer cryptocurrency and financial information. So here's a look at uh, the impact of that on the share price in the immediate um, you know, moment. So down by about four and a half percent today, close to five percent. But you've got to say that if you look at Medibank, in uh, its experience with a cyber attack, obviously very, very different, but still, you know, this was a prolonged pressure coming through on the share price and putting TPG Telecom in context. I mean, it hasn't really been a great year uh, for the company regardless. So with all of that in mind, I thought that we would speak with Henry and Andrew about TPG Telecom. Henry, start with this, this looming threat to all listed companies of a cyber attack and just how how aware you know investors need to be as to the dangers that are posed. Well, Nadine, I must admit, I'm starting to take this a little bit personally. Uh, I'm an Optus customer. I'm also a Medibank private and I also have IINet. So I think they're actually targeting me. <laughs> so I'm starting to take this a little bit personally. I, I guess that the, the, uh, the, the big takeaway and this, this has come from Optus, of course, and Medibank public as it's probably should be better called is that everybody has to take this very very seriously and let's face it the criminals tend to be one step ahead 
of the people trying to protect our data and those uh, those sort of uh, protections are probably uh, one step ahead of, of government regulations and ASX requirements. So it is a, a challenging landscape, I would imagine, in cybersecurity at the moment. I'm no cybersecurity expert. We do have a number of players in the space in Australia, most of which have responded, responded pretty badly uh, to this sort of pickup in cyber uh, hacks. Uh, I, I guess part of the reason is, um, you know, we're supposed to be... Um, are protecting this stuff and these companies are supposed to be protecting this stuff and, and it looks as if to some extent they are not um, it's a bit suboptimal they're not actually doing what they're supposed to do so I think everyone has to take it very seriously clearly with TPG there's other issues at place here uh, the stock has had a pretty well an anus horribilis in one year that probably they should uh, probably forget as I say I am an IINet customer so interestingly I got uh, offered on Black Friday an offer to cut my NBN service and uh, take up a 5G modem and that would uh, be $20 cheaper for the same amount of data which I did take up so that is interesting I guess they're trying to chop out the NBN which of course has a fixed fee that these guys charge can't get excited about TPG uh, could got, probably get more excited about Medibank public to be honest in this space but uh, yeah at the moment TPG not on my radar, I have to say, and uh, this will just damage them a little bit, not a huge amount. It's a flesh wound, as they would say, Monty Python. Okay. Uh, what do you make of the stock of the day, Andrew, TPG Telecom? Yeah, just to Henry's point around listed companies, investors absolutely need to be aware of it. I serve on a couple of boards, and it's now become a standing, standalone agenda item around cybersecurity, you know, what uh, investment needs to be made, what uh, tests are we doing, that type of thing. So certainly it is front of mind. In the context of TPG, um, certainly as we just saw in the chart there, it hasn't been a happy year for them. And they're pretty expensive. Uh, they're trading at around 35 times earnings relative to Telstra, which is, you know, obviously the behemoth at only 24 times. So uh, not great for the 15,000 businesses whose email addresses have been compromised. It's certainly not on the, not on the scale of Medibank or Optus, of course, that's a low benchmark, but uh, it is at best a hold, Nadine. At best a hold. So look, not a at ringing in go ahead. Did somebody say something? No, that was feedback. Okay, so that is uh, not a ringing endorsement of TPG Telecom. Um, okay, let's move on to some of these companies that have been nominated by our viewers. And in this case, it's from Jack and it's an ETF. This is the Vanek Morningstar Wide Moat ETF, M-O-A-T. And Jack just wants some views on that. Andrew, I'll start with you. Cool name, isn't it? Moat? Um, certainly sums up what uh, the ETF is trying to do, basically find businesses with a big moat around them. Uh, of course, you could compare it to Qual, the one ETF to rule them all, but of course you can't compare anything to that. So sorry, Jack, but uh, it is, uh, it, it's a worthy runner-up, but uh, indeed Qual does remain the one ETF to, to rule them all. So as the name suggests, it's Morningstar analysts who basically have a view as to which sort of a quality businesses have that sort of moat style um, feature about them, uh, sustainable competitive advantage, and it's also equal weighted, so you don't have one particular um, equity sort of uh, bigger than the other. It's got a US focus, so again, if you're worried about the US and some of the things we were just talking about before relating to hard landings and that sort of stuff, that might not be for you. 48 holdings, Boeing, Gilead, Biogen, got a pretty heavy IT bias, 31%. So again, if interest rates continue to rise, that's not going to be very friendly for you. It's actually performed pretty well relative to the broader index. So it's okay. There'd be nothing wrong with it. But uh, in my view, there are better quality style ETFs. Uh, but it's a hold. A hold. Um, a hold. Would you be considering this Henry as part of your ETF strategy when you consider some of the holdings within it? No. Sorry, uh, th this is uh, this is basically a, a managed fund under another name with uh, the Morningstar guys selecting the assets that go into the fund. Etsy is one of their biggest holdings. Uh, I know very little about Etsy, to be honest, and uh, I know very little about their strategy. I can't get excited about this one. It has gone sideways to slightly up for the year. So that is a, a good thing. Andrew is, of course, the, the whisperer in this space. I think there are certainly better ETFs to play in this space 
97% focused on the US. If the US market improves, then this one will improve. But there's better ways and more leveraged ways to, to play the US ETF market. These have just become managed funds with a different name, lower costs and no performance fees. Nothing very exciting about it. Okay, I will maybe after iShares then ask you what you would be buying then for exposure to U.S. equities. I mean, it certainly seems as if um, Andrew likes qual, but I'll give you some time to think. Let's get on to the next one on the list while we're on the subject of ETFs and get to the iShares Europe ETF, IEU. This is for Jacob saying that it's got a lot of the big holdings in the FTSE 100, also includes some really high quality businesses from the rest of Europe. Presumably, Andrew, the thinking is that there could be some value in a lot of those names right now as well. Yeah, and I think that's really where, you, if you were to do this, so again, we've just said we think the US is uh, fully valued and there's certainly plenty of um, headwinds. If we look at Europe, and Europe is certainly not a picnic by any stretch of the imagination, uh, in particular what's going on, of course, on, in the Ukraine, but from a valuation point of view, arguably Europe is better value. Now, whether you'd buy this is a whole other story, but in the context of valuation for Europe, then certainly uh, Europe is looking a bit more interesting. And I think it was Jacob, Jacob's, um, you know, with comments around the quality companies, you've got Nestle, ASML, Roche, Shell, so you do have quality companies. You're about 24% UK. We actually probably prefer the UK more, than Europe itself. Um, so, you know, there, again, we'll talk about potentially another ETF there in a second, but it's okay. It's defensively biased because it's got that financials exposure. It's got that healthcare exposure. Tech didn't get a mention in the top three. So again, if you're worried about tech, you wouldn't do moat, you potentially do this one. But I guess if we're playing the satellite regional game, I'd probably actually go for the UK. I think there's probably better value in the UK as opposed to more broadly Europe, plus all the things going on in Europe, uh, northern winter, concerns about energy supplies, what's going on with Ukraine. There's lots of short-term, maybe even medium-term noise there. So this would also be a hold. A hold. Uh, why not get out of it and get into something else? I mean, you can sell ETFs. Oh, you can sell ETFs. <laughs> what was I thinking? Sacrilege. Uh, <laughs> part of it might be around the, you might have a particular geographic bias. So you might say, I want so much an international and that whole active versus passive piece. So if you're passive, you might say, well, I want a bit of European exposure. Whereas if you're more active, to your point, if you don't think it's going to work, well, then that's where you might sell this one and you might buy F100, which is that UK one that we like. So it depends on what lens that you're looking at it. Well, that goes without saying, doesn't it? All right, let's get to Henry. What do you think of the iShares Europe ETF, Henry? Uh, well, obviously, it's a great way to get exposure to Europe, especially with the UK. I'm not sure I'd really want exposure to the UK at the moment. It does have a bit of an energy bias as well. Shell uh, and BP in there, which have done very well this year. They've been throwing off cash. Uh, like the proverbial drunken sailor. So that really has helped. Uh, HSBC as well, a big part of it. Novo Nordisk, uh, LVMH and luxury is back. But you'd have to think that given 2023, we're likely to see a recession in Europe and there's problems continuing. I would be a little bit reluctant here. I, I, I would probably be a seller of this one at the moment and uh, be looking to take some profits. It's had a pretty good run, I have to say as have a lot of things recently. So uh, I'd be taking some profits here. So for me, this is a sell. There's probably better markets, better ETFs uh, or managed funds to get into. And I'd be a seller of this one. Yeah, got it. Thanks. Uh, yeah, sometimes it's worthwhile selling and not holding. So let's find out if we're yeah. buying, holding or selling Ioneer. And this has come in for you, Henry, from a viewer, Larry. Hi, Larry. I hope you're watching or listening. This one's for you. LNR is the ticker code. So uh, Larry wants to know if you still like this one in the lithium space. Uh, hi, Larry. Yes, I do still like this one. It has been suboptimal as far as shareholder experiences go, which is really code for the fact that it's gone down. The problem they have, this has got a, a lithium project and a boron project in Nevada called Realite Ridge. It is pretty hard. That's the problem for these guys. Pretty hard to get the environmental permits done. 
quickly. It is not an easy place to uh, to mine in the U.S. Now, it is strategically located. Bernard Rowe is the CEO who I've chatted to a number of times. It is a pretty good project they've got there, and it is a strategic one. In theory, uh, they have got a big brother backer, but there are some uh, more uh, debt funding they need to probably raise, and they do need to get permits. The problem is this buckwheat uh, that they have there, which is a very rare form of this, um, this, this flower, and as a result, they have had to um, jump through a lot of hoops to get through environmental permitting. Lithium at the moment is on the nose. This one is taking its sweet time with permitting. It has come off a lot. I am still holding it. Maybe I'm stubborn. Maybe I just have hope. But uh, I'm still holding this one. For me, it is a hold. And maybe if it fell further, uh, as lithium uh, is a little bit on the nose at the moment, I'd be looking to, uh, to top up. But certainly, uh, it's a hold at the moment. Still has strategic assets in the right part of the world. But it's just very hard to get permitting in the U.S. for some of these big lithium projects. Well, that's interesting because when we're talking with explorers, we're always saying, oh, and they're telling us, but we're in the U.S., we're closest to the major market, we're closest to a lot of these uh, battery technology companies. Yeah. So it sounds like perhaps a bit of a misnomer that being in North America necessarily makes it, uh, you know, an easier, <laughs> an easier prospect and proposition. Um, well, that, that is the problem. It's it's not easy generally getting a mine up these days. I mean, it takes, you know, at least five years if you're in a real hurry, more like 10 years really and truly from a discovery to production. So this is not an easy process. And explorers will say, hey, you know, we're in the right part of the world, which is fantastic. But there are issues with environmental issues. You know, we had Rio not back in Serbia with their JADAR uh, lithium project. So it is not easy. Everyone wants uh, everyone wants electric vehicles, but nobody really wants a lithium project or a lithium mine in their backyard. So that, that is the problem. It's the same all over the world. America is no exception. And it's great being close, but you've got to get the permits. You've got to get permission. You've got to get the project going. So if it's at 49 cents right now, because people are very interested in lithium, Henry, where and what price is low enough for you to be topping up, as you say? Well, I'd probably be I'd probably be doing a little nibbling at the moment, Nadine. I have to say, um, the lithium space has come under pressure as it has done in the past because of uh, the odd investment bank that puts out a bearish forecast on prices. And as time advances, hopefully, you know, every day that goes by, there are a day closer to permitting. We hope we will get some good news in 2023 with this one. So I'd be starting to nibble now around 48, 49 cents. Got it. Thanks. Um, so to Henry's point, Andrew, we've seen lithium come under a bit of pressure. It was a Goldman Sachs note uh, last week that indicated that price for lithium will come down as supply meets the market. What's your thesis overall on lithium? We've got a lot of a lot more explorers than producers right now, but still, it, it is one of those commodities that has been so hot through 2022. Will the narrative change in 23? Well, of course, I am also led by the Lion King, Mr. Jennings. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but this is sort of how the conversation was going off air, people, just so you know. Okay, on we go. <laughs> I'm here all day. I'm here all day. Thanks very much. But no, in all seriousness, decarbonisation is a thing. Electrification is a thing. And so certainly companies that have exposure to that and some of the companies we'll talk about a little bit later today, equally so, will be sort of playing onto those themes as well. So certainly the, the lithiums, the borons, the zincs, etc. Uh, they're all in play. And so certainly from an INR point of view, it makes sense. Um, in the context, though, is there a lot of excitement uh, they've gone up, a lot of these companies have gone up very quickly and uh, as a consequence there's a lot of hot money that's been chasing this space but if you sort of take that longer term view there are going to be some casualties unfortunately but equally so there's going to be some winners as well. So you know Andrew the Boring I'd probably buy a basket of them, um, ACDC. Uh, but equally so, if you have uh, someone who's got their finger on the pulse, who follows it pretty closely, like my learned friend, uh, then certainly there is plenty of opportunity from the volatility point of view, because as, uh, as we just said, an investment bank comes out, 
you know, uh, basically says some negative things, causes a drop in sentiment, that is potentially a buying opportunity across that sector. So in the context of INR, the one thing I'm mindful of is they burnt through a fair bit of cash the last quarter. I think they burnt through about $14 million. So they've got about five quarters of cash left. So that's sort of another concern as they keep running into all these regulatory roadblocks. They keep burning through cash and therefore have to go and issue more shares and that's dilutionary. But uh, broader uh, thematic around lithium, it is a thing. It's here to stay. It's just how do you play it? Are you Andrew the Boring and buy a basket or are you Henry the Exciting and try and sort of pick the volatile ones? Okay, so that is a hold for you, uh, concern about cash burn. Let's get on to number four, so totally uh, changing sectors to Charter Hall. This is for Peter. He says, okay, yield has been hit hard in the last year or so, but if interest rates plateau or start retreating, then the REIT sector, he reckons, might be in favor and have considerable upside. He says, I know Goodman Group in the industrial space is the hot stock in the sector, or so it seems over the past couple of years in particular, but he's wondering if Charter Hall looks okay too. Andrew. I like Charter Hall. It's a it's a great business. We do a lot of business with Charter Hall relating to, well, not a lot, but we do some business with Charter Hall relating to their unlisted funds. Uh, they've got exposure across office, commercial, uh, industrial. They've got about $65 billion worth of uh, monies under management, predominantly wholesale. So in other words, it's sort of the, the bigger end of town. Their retail book is actually quite small, which I found quite surprising. And they've got a good tenant mix, Nadine. It's uh, the federal government by far. I think it's about 16% of their book is uh, the federal government. Wes Farmers, Coles, Woolies, Telstra. So they've got a A-class client list managing a lot of money. Um, so I think it's I think it's a great business, but to um, sort of the question to hand, the issue that we've got is rising interest rates and rising interest rates is not friendly to anything uh, in real estate. It's not friendly to infrastructure, certainly not friendly to bonds, was returned in 72 years. So in the context of how to play the REIT space, we're quite, you're quite right. You've really got to get have some confidence that interest rates are going to plateau. So back to you know how we started the conversation today. What's going to happen with inflation? What's going to happen with interest rates? And if inflation continues to be a thing, then interest rates will go up and all of these REITs will remain under pressure. I mean, the average REIT is down somewhere between 20 and 30%. Interestingly, unlisted companies or unlisted property trusts have barely moved. So, you know, whether in fact the market has overreacted, treating it like an ATM and selling it down, or are some of these unlisted ones due for a markdown, and we're probably somewhere in the middle. But I quite like Charter Hall, however, really need to get a broader macro theme, uh, macro understanding of what's going on with interest rates. So it is a hold, but it is a quality hold. Quality hold, and quality. what you're implying is that there might be a better entry point as well coming through 2023. Is that how you see it, Henry? Um, yeah, I think it is. I mean, the, the, the big player in the market has been GMG, Goodman Group, as people have got excited about the whole logistics thing, the online space, that warehousing aspect they've got, and they are a quality company. GMG have done an extraordinarily good job, but Charter Hall also probably slots in maybe at number two in that respect. Clearly, they've been under pressure this year because of the way interest rates are going. And you've got to remember that a lot of these REITs, it's, a lot of it is revaluations in terms of their property portfolio now we are seeing house prices come down we are seeing uh, maybe property portfolios not being quite as valuable as they were so there is some potential downside but i think the market's probably priced in uh, some of that as it has fallen a fair way from around 20 bucks to 13 bucks this year so i think the damage has been done i'd be uh, looking at buying this one i have to say uh, it is a quality hold and a quality hold probably gives me a bit of uh, confidence to buy this one around these kind of levels. It's it's trying to find a bottom. Uh, maybe around 12 bucks would be a much better price to get in at, but uh, you can't always time it perfectly. And uh, this is a quality REIT and uh, probably second to Goodman Group. Fallen a long way. A lot of that's in the price. So I'd be looking at uh, buying this one. That is a buy. I think that's the first buy we've got today. So Pilbara Minerals is the next on the list. Oh, we should have done Pilbara, I suppose, a little bit earlier on when we were talking about uh, Iron Ear, uh, noted for next time. PLS is the ticker code. I don't know a lot about what our viewer wants to know about it. So perhaps we can just talk, Henry, about the company itself, 
future strategic plans, new CEO will be coming in. So what happens next? Uh, what happens next? Good, uh, good question, Nadine. I have to say, you know, Pilbara has been the poster child in the space. I mean, it's now a $15 billion behemoth. It is producing lithium and it is also benefiting from what they call the BMS BMX auction, which is not when you get your, your push bike uh, sold on eBay. This is the battery material exchange. Now, one of the problems with lithium is the pricing is not all that transparent. It's kind of hard to dig out the right price for the right commodity. And a lot of it is on contracts based on various different benchmarks. The BMX auction has provided some transparency to this one. And to be honest, these guys are making you know, money hand over fist. The last spodumene auction these guys uh, did was uh, a record price, 8,575 US dollars a dry metric ton. So it's pretty good. They are making a mozza at the moment. Now, the question is, what do they do with the said mozza? And next year will be an interesting one because Pilbara have actually laid out plans to start paying dividends, maiden dividends. And they're talking about their capital management framework, which is the latest announcement from the company. And they are targeting, let's say, around 34 cents a share in dividends for 2023, which, as we've seen with other resource stocks, is quite generous. I have to say a $4.50 share price-ish and 34 cents in, um, in dividend is not a bad return there. So I like Pilbara. Obviously, it has run extraordinarily hard from those $2 lows we saw in June. It is the poster child. And at the moment, uh, there is a little bit of negativity around the sector because of that Goldman Sachs report on the price forecast. But they are very much in the minority. Most players, most industry players and intelligence in the industry is suggesting that high prices are going to be here for some time to come and Pilbara beautifully placed to take advantage of this. I think 2023 will be an interesting year. They will pay dividends and it's hard to go past this one. It is a producer. So um, yes, I'm, I, I still like Pilbara. Be happy to be patient, wait till it settles, but it's looking as if it's finding a base around 450. So I would be starting to accumulate this one. 450. Um, Andrew, when you're investing on behalf of clients, are you more inclined to go with a Pilmer Minerals rather than an Iron Ear, which is still waiting, you know, obviously to gain some of those approvals? Pilmer Minerals is digging it up, shipping it out. What do you think of it, the company? Yeah, look, I, I don't mind it. Of course, we have exposure to it through ACDC. That's that ETF I just mentioned before. But uh, I think Henry's spot on relating to that dividend piece and the production piece. The thing that sort of just I have in my mind, one of the few things I have in my mind, uh, I look at the market cap and the market cap is, I just had it before, there it is, it's already got out of my mind, $13.5 billion market cap. So if we just think for a moment, we just spoke about Charter Hall, $65 billion money is under management, all those quality tenants we just spoke about, market cap, drum roll please, $6 billion. Mm. Um, so you sort of think to yourself, hmm, so then I had a look at the daily turnover. What's the average daily turnover in Pilbara? $144 million a day traded in Pilbara. So there's obviously lots of lots and lots of interest and lots of hot money chasing it. So that would be my one concern that if for whatever reason there's bad news that comes out in the lithium space and for all the reasons we just spoke about before, I'd be very surprised. But you know, for whatever reason, a lot of this hot money that's been chasing this, there's going to be some potentially some tears. And if that were to occur, I'd be dropping ACDC and I would be buying this because I think there's lots to like about it. But Henry's right. You've got to just wait for it to settle because uh, certainly there is lots of hot money in here and that hot money can go come and it can very easily go as well. So got it's it. a hold. Thank you, guys. All right. Let's take a bit of a pause, get across what we've just learned uh, in terms of the stock of the day. Uh, look, it's uh, not ringing any great bells for either of my expert guests, Andrew Wideland from DP Wealth Advisory or Henry Jennings from Marcus Today. Also, Andrew says it's looking pretty expensive, all things considered. So that is a hold. Let's get to number one on the list, which is an ETF. Now, this is the Vanek Wide Moat. It is a runner up to Qual. 
and uh, it's a hold in terms of Andrew's view on the uh, ETF. Uh, Henry points out that Etsy is one of its biggest holdings. It's a no for him. Henry is also decisive when it comes to the European ETF, the iShares Europe ETF, saying he would sell it, take profits it has, had an energy bias. And uh, Andrew is saying just hold this one. Uh, although he sees that there's better value in the UK. Getting into the lithium space, Iron Ear, it is a hold for Andrew, primarily pointing to the cash burn. He uh, name drops ACDC ETF, which he'd prefer. Uh, Henry wouldn't mind nibbling at this one at the current price, but does think that it might fall further. He does like it. It's a good project, but again, it's being caught up in some of this negativity toward the lithium miners at this time. I'll go to Pilbara Minerals now just because it makes sense. Again, name dropping the ACDC. You know who that was. That was Andrew. But he does like the company. He says, wait for it. Wait for it to fall and settle. And that is exactly what Henry is doing with in mind that the dividends will be paid. Then we get to Charter Hall. So uh, both of our guests do like it. It's a quality hold for Andrew, but it is a buy for Henry. He really likes this one at current levels. It's trying to find the bottom, so that is his view. The latest investment committee meeting, of which Henry Jennings is a participant, is up online. You can watch it at osbiz.com.au. Check out the portfolio now. BAPCOR and Domino's were removed. Imdex and Janison Education were added. Elders weighting was increased. So let's get to performance. Drum roll, please. So far, the fund is up 7.25% on a cumulative return basis that since we got it going on March the 1st. Send us your requests to this program to see which stocks will be put before the committee next time and uh, none so far today. We'll see if that changes in the second half of the program. Back in just a moment. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second to none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Well, welcome back uh, to the call on this Wednesday afternoon. Wonderful to be here with you. Coming up, 29 Metals, Infomedia, Auckland International Airport, Sandfire Resources, which is on fire today and eBoss Group. So let's get going, shall we? The clock is ticking, 29 medals. This one is for Faye. Henry, small cap specialist, I might start with you for this one. Hi, Faye. Um, yes, small cap. Well, I guess it's not really a, a small cap as such. It's a $1.2 billion company. The One of the big attractions, it only floated at two bucks, but one of the big attractions of this is Owen Hegarty, who is a bit of a, a mining legend. Uh, here's the chair of this one, and it is the EMR, which is his company. Uh, these guys floated on the exchange. It does give you exposure to base metals, copper and zinc to a, a large extent. Golden Grove is one of the big focal points for the company. I have to say, I like this. The, we're kind of running out of, um, if Oz Minerals falls to BHP, we are running out of the, the copper stocks of quality and size, especially with quality management. These guys know their onions. They know what they're doing. Uh, there's a lot of focus at the moment on copper. I guess it's taking over a little bit from lithium in some respects, but there is a lot of focus on the, the deficit that could be looming in copper, bearing in mind that copper is a major part of the electrification story and also uh, global growth. So I don't mind this one at all. It has, uh, it has been kind of settling around this $2.30 level, and uh, I think this one is a buy. It's a buy for 29 metals. Apologies, I didn't actually realize the company had that uh, size market cap. Um, nice to get a buy from no, you. Do you agree that copper is also a very big commodity for 2023? Andrew, if you believe, like you said, climate change is a thing, decarbonization is a thing. Oh, without a doubt, Nadine, buckle up. First buy for the day, so uh, we're, uh, we're going to send this one off to the investment committee. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there you go. Copper is in. Buys to the investment committee. Let's see what else is on this list. I just did read it, but Infomedia is coming up next. This one is for Robert. Infomedia, correct me if I'm wrong, there's a takeover offer going through, isn't there? No. No? You're wrong. I am wrong. Sometimes I <laughs> there, am, there was. believe it or not. 
Sometimes you are. I, I've only known you to be wrong once, Nadine, <laughs> yeah. and that's, that's this time out. Um, there was a takeover. There was a takeover was approach. A take yeah, thanks. And I've got to say, before I researched it, I thought there was still a takeover offer going okay. on, but there isn't anymore. Um, they, they kicked them out of the virtual data room. Uh, this was a bid at $1.70, uh, which was a consortium comprising TA Associates and a fund manager, Ver Burnham, uh, was part of that. Um, Sol Solera was also part of that. Uh, but they got no binding proposal from anyone. Uh, either Solera and uh, that consortium. So they kicked them out of the virtual data room and it's onwards and upwards on their own. These guys are embedded in the, well, they, they talk about empowering the data-driven automotive ecosystem. I wonder which management consultant came up with that little <laughs> doozy. Um, but they talk about the six trends in automotive in terms of collective connected cars, electric vehicles, uh, what's going on with the dealer back end, the digitization of the dealerships, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, it's kind of languishing now at a dollar ten. I don't really know what to do with this one, to be honest. There is obviously some interest from uh, private equity and various other people in it, but not enough to put money, slap it on the table. So um, I think at the moment this is a hold, but um, it's probably, you know, it's it's probably a weak hold as opposed to a, a, a good hold. And if it did pop a little bit, then I think uh, you'd be selling into it. But certainly, you know, kicking these guys out of the virtual data room is probably not a great sign. No offers received at 170, despite lots of talk of that. So uh, it's a hold from me. Yeah, and, and also at its AGM, which I think was held in November, it downgraded its guidance going forward, which is always a bit of a, an issue. Now, uh, some analysts have said that, look, there are you know, some sales discussions ongoing, negotiations ongoing that could prove favorable if they can get their cost base under control and get some of the major, major global auto players into its, uh, its sphere. Is this... a an investment that you would be willing to make? I was going to say a bet um, for you, Andrew, but that's not how uh, you invest. So what, what sort of information or insight could you give Robert as to how he might view Infomedia? Uh, Robert, there's lots of amber flashing lights, uh, car traffic analogy intended or pun intended. Um, certainly, as Henry just said, kicking uh, people out of the data room and certainly no offer forthcoming is not a good look at all. Um, you know, like if the uh, if the bidders were interested, then why didn't they put something forward? So certainly that's concerning. Uh, new CEO or newish CEO, he's been there since May, so is there going to be a change in strategy? Same as Henry, I read that uh, ASX announcement. Uh, relating to their strategy day and I just went they've paid a lot of money to somebody for all these buzzwords uh, probably the other thing is we have covered this one previously on the call so when we when we have recurring companies look back at my notes on last time and interestingly concerningly both the return on equity and also earnings per share significantly lower than the last time we looked at this as well so lots of reasons not to be involved I think Henry's been kind in saying it's a weak hold I'm going to say to sell. Sell. So there you go. Oh. Andrew does sell. Now we know. Let's find out if he'd be buying Auckland International Airport. Qantas is doing so well. Uh, we continue to hear about everybody wanting to lay down their cold, hard, thick wads of cash <laughs> to fly now. I mean, just, I mean, in all seriousness, um, we had an opportunity to go to uh, New Zealand over Christmas and thought, oh, no problem. You know, it won't be that expensive. It was like just as much as flying to Africa. You know, it was so expensive. Um, so is that good for the airlines in the short term? But in the long term, how do you see this all playing out, Andrew? It might be good for the airlines, but for the operators, you know, the people who are in the airfields, it's not so good because it's basically, well, sorry, let me, let me rephrase that. If there is more activity, there is more planes landing, more people going through the retail shops, uh, greater demand for cargo, etc. that's a positive. But they're not a direct beneficiary. It's not like they're clipping the ticket on a commission basis because airfares are higher. And as you just said yourself, you sort of went, hmm, why would I travel? That's a pretty expensive airfare. I'm not actually going to go on that plane. So arguably higher airfares are a negative for uh, infrastructure assets like airports. Uh, certainly Sydney Airport's been taken out um, by the... Uh, 
private equity slash super funds was certainly a positive and that certainly bodes well for the defensive nature of this business. But you're being asked to pay a pretty aggressive PE, it's around 44 times earnings. And we are seeing domestic, I think, is back to about, nine, this is New Zealand figures or Auckland airport figures, about 90% of where it was pre-COVID. International, though, is only back to 60 to 70% dependent upon in where you're looking. So from my point of view, it's fairly fully priced. We haven't seen a full recovery from COVID. Airfares are actually deterring people from travelling. So I think it's just probably run a bit too hard. Rising interest rates is also a bit of a concern as well. So it is a hold. Hold for Auckland International. What do you think, um, Henry? Because, you know, we often hear that some of these infrastructure assets are inflation proof. Uh, you know, they offer diversification, which I'm told over and over and over again is going to be just so important in 2023. But this obviously is a listed asset. So does that make it a different sort of proposition for you? Um, well, I guess in some respects, I'd be a seller of this one. It's run pretty hard, I have to say. Uh, the New Zealand economy seems to be heading for a recession. That's certainly the talk. They've been very aggressive on their rates. And as you rightly say, Nadine, it costs a small fortune to fly places. Uh, we're actually driving to Melbourne after Christmas because it's so expensive to fly. It's ridiculous. They cannot gouge forever. The other issue with this one is that there is an 18% stake in this, which is owned by the Auckland Council. And that is worth around $2 billion, which they have said that there's no strategic reason really why they should be owning this. There has been a change in uh, council there. So there's a potential overhang uh, to be released into the market. Uh, there's uh, also aeronautical pricing uh, sometime in the first half of uh, 2023. Aeronautical pricing is code for how much it costs the airlines to land there. Uh, that is the aeronautical pricing. Uh, I don't like this one. I think you should sell it. And I think it's run way, way too hard. Maybe it's run hard on the fact that there's no Sydney airport that you can invest in anymore. And as a result, this has kind of been the proxy of uh, Sydney airport. But I think it's run hard. The dividend yields pretty measly. Uh, and yeah, I can't get really excited about the New Zealand economy. And if you're not going, I'm not going. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to New Zealand. Uh, New Zealand will have to wait for us, Henry, I think. All right. And yes, just sir. on that as a PS, we've got a GDP read out of New Zealand tomorrow, which is always interesting and always reflects, you know, tourism, inbound tourism particularly as well. Okay, so that's Auckland International Airport for Bryce. Bryce, don't forget, this is information only. This is not tailored for your own specific financial circumstances. So uh, you know, do your own research or get financial advice. Uh, let's talk about Sandfire Resources. So Sandfire Resources has signed a collaboration agreement with Cobra Limited, but there's lots going on around, um, around Sandfire right now. I mean, it's got this sort of, what exactly is it? It's sort of a, a, a conditional placement that's coming in. Uh, it's a Genesis. $275 million conditional placement that has just been um, completed. It, why is there so much activity, so many announcements coming out around Sandfire? Um, I think you might be confusing your resource companies here. No, am I? Um, yeah, oh, I think shoot, I've got St. Barbara up right now. You've got St. Barbara and Genesis, uh, which has got that too. So I was getting confused. So don't, don't worry. I'm on fire today. <laughs> You are on fire. You've got a great top on, though. You look fabulous. Mm, thanks. Um, this, uh, I guess the answer with Samfire is that it is a base metal play. They've got a, a, a copper plate to Grusa, uh, which they have put up for sale. They've just done a capital raise, so they have been raising money. Uh, that was quite successful. A big, big discount. The stock has run really, really hard uh, from that capital raise. It's probably due for a smidge of a pullback. Uh, only a smidge, though. But I think this one... You know, we are shrinking, as I say, if Oz Minerals disappears, yeah. uh, we are shrinking in terms of quality, uh, copper and base metal play. Sandfire does stick out as one of those, but it has run hard. I'd probably be a hold here. We do like this one, have held it for a while, but we picked it up cheap. So uh, it could have a little bit of a pullback. We are seeing some of the resource stocks pulling back a little bit. So, uh, but it is quality and it has got lots of upside potential. Depending on what happens with DeGrusa in terms of pricing as well, that could have a big effect on the company. But uh, 
maybe a little bit of indigestion to come with this uh, placement and the SPP that they've just done. Okay, so um, if I can unconfuse our viewers right now, Samfire Resources is what we're talking about. So to Henry's point, um, if you're looking at copper, which we've already spoken about today, and you're looking to gain exposure, would Sandfire Resources be one in which you could invest in confidently, Andrew? Uh, yes, and as Henry just said, you know, there's probably three that you would look at, and with uh, Oz Minerals certainly uh, potentially being off the table, uh, we're sort of really dialing back where we could get exposure. So certainly Sandfire sort of fits into that. Um, but in the very short term, just talking about that SPP, that share purchase plan, there's about 4 million shares that were actually handed back to the underwriter because uh, the retail investors did not take up their holdings, which based on the $4.30 price versus where are they now, $5 something, I'm sure those people are kicking themselves. But those, stop, that sh those shares are released on the 15th of December. So Henry spoke about indigestion. There's certainly some shares that will be coming onto the market, which, which may weigh on the price in the very short term. So that might be your buying opportunity. But again, you know, the whole conversation, decarbonisation, electrification, all that sort of stuff, uh, Sandfire certainly fits into that. So it's a hold at the moment, but it's a buy on weakness. Okay, interesting. What did you make, Henry, of that UBS note that was out yesterday that basically said that there's too much optimism being priced into some of these resources companies now, you know, based on the China reopening and, uh, you know, taking all things into consideration. We did see UBS downgrading Rio Tinto and BHP. So again, do you think that it's a matter of timing some of your entry points into these uh, commodity plays? Yeah, I do, Nadine. I mean, resource stocks are for buying and selling. They, they, they are cyclical by their nature. BHP has been a staggering performer. Uh, this time last year, we did the Ausbiz Advent thing, and yeah. BHP was my stock for 2022. It has been an absolute stonking performer. When you look at what they've given back to shareholders in terms of dividends and what they've given to shareholders in terms of the Woodside um, demerger of their oil and gas assets, which they gave to Woodside, in exchange for shares so it has been a great performer there comes a time uh, when things you have to take the top off a few things and BHP and some of the others I think deserve to be uh, just just selling a little bit because they have run so hard remember also that China the, the reopening of China is not as straightforward as it has been in the West for three years the Chinese have been told that if they step outside so much as breathe the outside air they're going to die now, you can't reverse that instantly and get life back to normal. People are reluctant. Their vaccination programs, their, the surge there is going to take a bit of a toll. So I think we may have got a smidge ahead of ourselves there. And uh, I would be uh, with UBS. In fact, I wrote about a week before UBS that I've suggested that BHP was worth taking some money off the table because it had run very hard. Same with uh, the Rio and uh, the other uh, resource stocks. They had just run really, really hard on this China reopening trade, hope. Just a quick thought on that, Andrew, because I did see you nodding. Yeah, I'm just thinking about the famous Saran super fund, my self-managed super fund. I sold my BHP at $47 because it had oh, run yes. too hard. So. Good. Well, allow Smart you guys man. to pat yourselves on the backs there. You do deserve it. And thank you for yeah. saving me on that one as well. So the last one on the list is EBOS Group. Uh, the ticker code is EBO. Look, there hasn't been a whole heap of news out about this company as of late. Um, there was an investor presentation um, which was held in Melbourne on the 16th of November. So I don't have any context as to why Frankie is asking about this one. Um, what do you make of EBOS Group as, a, as an investment? I'll take it first up. Sure. Um, look, from my point of view, I hadn't really sort of come across it, which is rather embarrassing considering it's a top ASX 80 company and a top 10 NZX company. Uh, but it's, it's a thing. It's a $7.5 billion company, mm -hmm. um, healthcare and, and, uh, and animal uh, healthcare as well. Um, probably where people would know it here, or certainly in Queensland anyway, is Terry White Chemists. That certainly seems to be one of the, the main attractions for it. The volume, though, is pretty light. You know, for a $7.5 billion company, you've only got about 500,000 odd, $500, odd dollars going through a day. Again, compare that to Pilbara at $144 million a day. You can certainly get an idea as to the market sort of knowing about this. 
it does seem pretty fully priced. It's a mm -hmm. P of around 26 relative to earnings growth of about 12%, and it's trading near consensus. So quality business, 5,000 employees, but it's a hold and it's probably not on a lot of retail investors' radar. No, uh, and uh, it's interesting though, because just reading through that investor presentation, Henry, you know, they're pointing out that they can tap into a couple of these major megatrends, which of course is an aging demographic and the humanization of pets as we know it to be. So if you could get your hands on a few EBOS shares, would you? <laughs> Um, I get well this one's been the quiet achiever I must admit every time I do my end of day report and I see this one perk up I look at the volume and go oh yeah well it's up but it's only thin volume it has been the quiet achiever it has been going pretty well and it's been, it's a medical uh, supply business it provides uh, medical supplies for neurosurgical and plastic and reconstructive uh, kind of operations so it's kind of high-end it's not your beds and your and your bedpans this is high-end stuff and so there's obviously some tailwinds there as we do get uh, things back on track after covid in terms of operations and surgery so that is a good thing the problem is that it's not widely followed in australia it is more a new zealand kind of company i would be probably selling it here it has run really really hard this year it's up to pretty much it's high for the year i like selling things like this at high there's a lot of optimism built into this uh, so I would be selling this one, especially if we see a little bit of a recession in Australia and New Zealand in 2023 that may pull back the demand side of things for elective surgery, private health care and medical device and other products. So I'd be a seller of this hmm. one here. Run too hard. It is thin, though. Yeah. It is thin. Yeah. It is very thin. Okay, interesting. So many people talk about healthcare as defensive. Um, but look, we don't have time to get into that discussion. You guys have been great today, as always. Let me run you through what we've learned in this last half of the program. 29 medals was the only double buy of the day, but it's nice to get one in there. Infomedia, it's a sell for Andrew. Very many amber lights flashing. It's a weak hold, which again, I think is a new one coming from Henry. He would sell into any strength that might come through. Auckland International is a sell for Henry. It's just run too hard, too fast. It's a hold for Andrew. And Sandfire Resources, my apologies, people. It's a hold. It's a quality hold for both of my guests and eBoss Group, a quality company in Andrew's view, a hold, but you just heard uh, Henry's reasoning for selling. So it's been wonderful to have you with us as always for this edition of The Call. Now coming up, we've got a super edition of the small caps. We've got Jake Waddell joining us from Investors Mutual talking small caps. That's not Jake Waddell, we're having Mark Whitaker. who will be talking small caps that represent quality and value as we head into 2023. Stay with us. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.